together. Man, I just love it. It's so great. This morning, we get to welcome another new preacher. If you read Hope Weekly, then you know who that preacher is already. But if you don't, then it's going to be a surprise. So the new preacher that we get to welcome this morning is someone that I have seen maturing in the Lord for, I don't know how long, decades. I've known them for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's aging me. Yeah, I know. And kind of also by proxy them. Sorry. <laughs> but I, 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 got, I got to know Jessica when she was just a wee teenager. And uh, I got to see her learn and be discipled by various people in the church. And she has grown so much. And I don't want to steal her biography because I know she's going to give a bit of a biography. But I heard her give uh, what she's going to give as the content for this sermon as a devotion on at a, at a deacon's meeting. And I, I just felt the Lord just say, that's a sermon. That's a sermon. So I, I said to her right away, I'm like, you got to preach that. So, so now she's preaching it. So this morning, she's going to preach the content from that devotion. And so without further ado, Jessica Young, could you come and take the pulpit, please? Okay, just, okay. <laughs> sure, good idea. <laughs> I should be a good pastor and I should pray for her. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Jessica. Thank you, Lord God, for this word that you've planted in her heart, Lord God. I thank you, Father, that she is eager to share the truth in this word. She's excited, Lord God. And Father, I pray that we would receive it well, Lord God, that we would be good soil that would receive these seeds well, that would grow, go on to produce 30, 60, and 100-fold what was given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Okay, hi, guys. I just need a minute. I just got to look at y'all. I'm used to being on platforms and speaking into microphones, and I like to talk, so they were like, maybe you should preach. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm really excited to be here. Before I get started, though, um, I just kind of, like Mike said, I want to give a little bit of a mini bio, just kind of tell you a little bit about who I am, if you don't know. A lot of you do know me. Um, I came, started coming to Living Hope in 2003 when I was almost 15 years old, so kind of feels like I grew up a little bit in the church. My husband, handsome husband over there, Josh, say hello. He really didn't want me to do this, but there he is. He's usually back behind the soundboard, but he has been coming to Living Hope since the mid-80s, back when um, Scott and Kelly first started the church. And I joked with Mike, I'm like, shouldn't we have a plaque with Josh's picture on it that says Living Hope's oldest member? And he's assured me it won't happen. <laughs> but so we both, um, Living Hope is very much in our hearts, and we met at Living Hope youth group. Um, that's a story for another time and another sermon, <laughs> so I'm not going to go into that, but very much it's a part of our hearts, and we, we have grown a lot here. And what I really, really love about being a Christian, about doing this walk, is that you never quite feel like you make it or you've arrived, because I grew up in the church, and I, as long as I can remember, I knew about Jesus, but there are so many things I'm 
I'm getting to this age now where I'm like, man, I really don't know much. <laughs> and so this um, subject that I'm going to be talking to you guys about today, um, kind of, it, it began when I joined um, Tara and Fern's home group. Um, we were doing the New Man series, and it talks a lot about um, who we are in Christ and, um, and our identity and, li- and life in the spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so we were at home group one night, and can I just pause actually for a minute and interrupt? Mike kind of already mentioned this this morning. He made a plug for home groups, but can I really add my encouragement to that? Like, if you're not part of a home group, I really encourage you or a life group to join one because there's things that happen and conversations and growth that happens that as much as I love Sunday morning here, it doesn't happen in the same way here. You get to know people's stories. You get to ask the questions. You get to share. And so that's what was happening this night at home group. We'd been talking about a lot of things, um, and I was sharing a struggle that I was having um, and how Josh and I had been praying for this hopeless-seeming situation. And I was saying to my friends in home group, like, I, I don't even know what to pray anymore. Like, I feel like I'm praying the same things over and over. And I, I, I don't know. I feel completely hopeless. And my one friend, she turned to me and she said, have you tried praying in the opposite spirit? And I was like, what do you mean? And a few of you might be wondering that too. And so I was feeling hopeless, and she was suggesting, why don't you start praying from a place of hope? Because like Tara was sharing this morning, it's finished, and it's already done. So I was feeling hopeless, but the truth is there is hope. And so I went home that night, and I'm like, okay, I don't feel very hopeful, but I'm like, I'm, well, I'm going to pray from hope. Like, this is finished. It's done. And I was amazed at how my feelings changed, you know? And so then it kind of start me off on this journey of like, okay, the opposite spirit, this is really compelling. This has got to be like, like this could come into every facet of our Christian walk. So this morning, I'm going to be talking to you about the power of the opposite spirit. So before I do, I know Mike just prayed for me, but I just wanna, I wanna stop and just pray once more again. So if you would join me and just bow your heads. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you so much for this church that I love so much. I thank you for these people. And I thank you for this message, God. I thank you that you are a, you're a life changer and a lifesaver. And I, I thank you that this message that you have is going to change things in people's hearts and how they, how they do life, Lord. And I just pray, God, like less of me and more of you this morning, God, as I share this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so once again, just before I get started, I am not an expert (laughs) in this. I have just started learning this, but the beauty of when God starts teaching you something is that you just get really excited about it. So I've been really excited about this, and that's why I want to share it this morning. Trust me, I am still still on this learning journey when it comes to being able to move in the power of the opposite spirit. So in recent days... We have seen fear, we've seen division, accusation, ugly words. I could stand here for another half an hour and tell you about all the bad things (laughs) that have been going on, well, since the fall. But recently, it really hits home, right? And I've just really been feeling that more than ever, we need to be the salt and the light of the earth. 
Like we have a mission as the church and it's to facilitate a manifestation of the presence of God and of the power of his kingdom. And it's this marvelous opportunity, but it sounds maybe kind of big and grand and maybe even complicated to some of you because I know like when I hear that, I'm kind of like, ooh, that sounds kind of big and <laughs> maybe even cliche, but it is so true. Um, and I used to kind of think doing that was complicated, but through this process, I've been, I've been learning that it's not as complicated as I once thought. It's sometimes just simple, small actions in reaction to the spirit of the world around us. So who here knows or would agree with me that there is a spirit of this world that is not of God and it seeks to steal, kill, and destroy? But you and I, the church, we have an active role to combat the work of the enemy because who knows that God has come that, that we might have life and have it abundantly. So the enemy, steal, kill, destroy, God, life, right? So we got to figure out what side we want to be on, right? So um, I want to start with a bit of an illustration. Um, I'm sure it's one that almost everybody here can relate to on some level. It's certainly one that I have found, a situation I found myself in many times. Okay, so let's say that you are at work, you're sitting around the lunchroom table, everybody's enjoying their lunch, and conversation is good, but you have that one coworker. You know him? <laughs> the one who um, maybe from time to time gets on everybody's nerves, maybe even yours, and he comes and he joins the conversation. He throws his two cents in. And then he gets up and he leaves the room. But as soon as he's left, the remaining people in the lunchroom, they continue the conversation. But this time it's aimed at your coworker. And it's not exactly uplifting. Let's even say maybe it's a bit malicious. So what do you do? I know for me, I have found myself in this situation a lot of times in one way or another. And there's a couple of options. They usually go something like this. You join in the gossip about your coworker because you don't really like him anyway. Or two, you feel uncomfortable with the gossip, but you, you know it's not right, so you don't say anything because then you're not doing anything wrong, right? Just don't say anything. Or three, you decide to be brave and you speak up and you outright say, hey, I don't like how you're talking about this guy and you hope that, that kind of puts an end to it. So of those three options, number three is probably the best and is not a wrong option. Um, but if I'm totally honest, more often than not, I'm a number one or a number two person, right? But what if I said that there was a fourth option, and that was to move in the opposite spirit? So you recognize um, in that moment that the conversation and the gossip about your coworker is not life-giving and you do not want to participate with the spirit of criticism and death. I know that sounds really extreme, but let's be real honest. When you're not speaking life again about, about someone, you're speaking death. So you recognize that and you decide to start saying nice things about this guy. What do you think would happen? Because I almost guarantee you it would just kind of stop. And you wouldn't have to be like, hey, don't talk about that guy, although there's a time and a place for that. But this is just such an amazing way to just kind of switch things around, you know? Like, you've got criticism and death, 
and then you decide to speak life. And there is a, there's something that happens in the spiritual realm when you decide to move against that. So Proverbs 18.21 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death. So like I just said, when you speak life and truth over someone, it shuts down the spirit of death and criticism that is trying to exert itself in that situation. So for me, as a leader in the church and as an ambassador for Christ, I I often ask myself if I'm being a good influence, especially in situations like I just mentioned. Am I bringing change to the atmosphere of the places I go? Am I manifesting the kingdom of God? Or am I adapting myself to whatever is at work around me? And it's easy to say that I want to be a good influence, and a bringer of God's presence, but what does it look like? That was the question that really was kind of burning in my heart. Like, it's easy to say those things, but what does it really look like? So I think if we want to know what it looks like, the obvious answer is to look at Jesus. Because he walked in the fullness of God on the earth, and wherever he went, he changed the atmosphere, and he manifested God's kingdom. And it was just, it was absolutely, if you read any account of Jesus in the Gospels. It's just like, whew, just changes the atmosphere everywhere he went. And I think part of the reason why he was able to do that is he was able to recognize when ungodly spirits were at work. Like, they recognized him, but he also recognized them. He knew when there was an ungodly spirit at work, and he was able to respond in the opposite spirit. He was bringing the kingdom everywhere he went. And so this truly is everyday spiritual warfare. Um, it's an effective tool for us when if in interacting with others, like the previous illustration, um, or even when battling our own thoughts. So to look at Jesus and an example of this, I want to go to John chapter 8. Uh, feel free to join me in your physical Bibles, your version. Or you can just follow me along on the screen. It's John chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 2 and go to verse 11. And I'm going to to read it all here. So just to kind of set the scene. um, As usual, Jesus is doing his thing. He's teaching and bringing the kingdom. And then his friends, the Pharisees, decide to show up and crash the party. (laughs) It's seemingly what was always happening to him. So here he is. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
So there's a lot going on here. This is a really common story in the Bible. A lot of you have probably heard it. And if you were to visualize it, it's pretty intense because you've got the Pharisees and they've probably stirred up the crowd a little bit. I imagine they probably have their stones. Back in the day, people really liked executions, you know? Like they were like, we're going to kill her and we're going to do justice. Like, can you imagine the atmosphere that was brought to where Jesus was as he's sitting there? And they're all angry and they're like, oh, justice. And so, It's just interesting because they're also using it as a trap. They want to see how Jesus is going to respond because how can he speak against the law of Moses, right? Well, it's interesting to note they weren't actually following the law to the letter either because the law of Moses required both the man and the woman to be brought forward in those instances of adultery and they were both to be punished. So, I mean, it's interesting. But I think that um, Jesus recognizes that there's a spirit of condemnation and a spirit of shame behind the actions of the Pharisees. And he responds with mercy and honor. And it literally shifted the atmosphere. Like, it, it's to me, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, if that was me, and I was Jesus, and I was going to defend this woman, I'd be like, how dare you? Back down right now, right? Like, you, it's the way of the world. People are angry and aggressive, so you get angry and aggressive back, right? Like, you're going to get in my face, I'm going to get in your face. And he doesn't do that. He just kind of sits down on the ground and starts writing some things. And I don't really know what he was writing. I, don't, I think there's just a lot of guesses as to what he was writing. It doesn't really matter. But then he stands up and he says, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And what's really powerful about that is that he was the one without sin. And he could have th- thrown a stone at her, I guess, right? And he chose not to. And that, I think it was a spiritual, I think it was a spiritual thing. He met that condemnation and shame with mercy and honor. And it just, and they all just left. They're like, huh, okay. And off they go. And I think it's really interesting because, oh, and I, to add to that too, he tells her to go away and leave her life of sin, Right? And he knew, Jesus knew, James 2.13 says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And Jesus knew this. And I also think that as she went away, like he told her to, I think she did leave her life of sin. We don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us what happened after. But it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And he showed her mercy and honor and kindness. They were about to kill her over her sin. That's what the law of Moses required. And he showed them mercy and honor, and I believe it brought about redemption and salvation. And it's interesting because there's parallels to life, right? Like, I think of how many times, you know, how often have we condemned someone because we think it's the right thing to do? Well, they broke the law, or they're getting what they deserve, or, well, serves them right. I've done that before. You know, you're like, this is the way it should be. But life in the spirit it's just different, right? So that is such a powerful example. Another really great example that Jesus shows us about the opposite spirit is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. I'm going to read that, and you can follow along or read with me. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. 
And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Wow. An eye for an eye. Doesn't that sound just like the world we live in now? Somebody hits you, well, you hit them back. Somebody steals from you, well, you steal from them, right? Like, oh, you're going to get in my face, I'm going to get in your face. That's the way of the world. And that was what um, the people in that cultural context would have understood because that's what, that's what the law said. Whereas Jesus is coming and saying, there is another way and it's the way of the kingdom, right? And so he shows us exactly how to counteract these situations, someone's violent toward you, you can respond in peace. If someone steals from you, you can give to them. And what, what do you think that would accomplish? I mean, if someone's hitting you and you're just refusing to hit them back, it fizzles. Because when you keep dishing anger, 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 it just keeps feeding the anger, right? It's, it's kind of common sense too. Like it, it's a spiritual thing, but it, it's common sense, Right? So a really great illustration of this, I heard in a sermon one time, I can't remember who was preaching it, I would give him credit if I could remember, but what he said really stuck with me. So that's what I want to share with you. Um, the, the pastor who was preaching was talking about um, the thermostat and the thermometer. So as we know, most of us have thermostats in our home. It's designed to be set to a specific temperature, right? So in our house, if we want the temperature to be set to 21 degrees Celsius, it's set to 21 degrees Celsius, right? And when elements such as cold or heat start to affect the atmosphere, the thermostat recognizes that, kicks in with a response and tells either the furnace or the air conditioner to return the temperature to 21 degrees or keep the temperature at 21 degrees, right? Um, a thermometer, as we know, is different. If you put a thermometer into an atmosphere like a person's mouth or a tea kettle, it's simply going to read the temperature of that atmosphere that it's been placed in. So we, we want to be like a thermostat. We want to have our temperature set to the kingdom of God, and we want to make sure that wherever we go, we keep our temperature dialed into the kingdom. So we need to recognize when elements around us are attempting to adjust the temperature and there has to be a response that returns the atmosphere back to the right temperature. We do not want to be thermometers. Thermometers adapt, right? You put them in, they go to that temperature, right? And so we want to bring the kingdom into everything we do, everywhere we go. It doesn't matter where you go. You could walk into the middle of a seance and you'd bring the kingdom, right? We have authority over all spiritual powers in this world. And so often we act afraid of things like that, like, ooh, like witchcraft or whatever, right? We have power and authority over that. So when you go into work, it doesn't matter that all your coworkers aren't saved, right? You bring the kingdom. If you walk into, like, I don't know, like, a, like I said, a seance or somewhere where there's, like, evil, you bring the kingdom. It's such a powerful thing. And I, I, as I've been learning this, it's been like, yes, like, this is what the Bible says, right? So kind of going along, like, you know, we've been talking about opposites, right? You've got the kingdom of darkness, and you've got the kingdom of God, right? So you've got the enemy, judgment, condemnation, right? Kingdom forgiveness, mercy. You've got jealousy, envy, contentedness, 
right? Where there's complaining, we bring gratitude. Anxiety, we bring peace. Where there's death, we bring life. Where there's despair, we bring hope. Where there's depression, we bring joy. And where there's fear, we bring love. Yeah. So I hope you're kind of getting the picture. Um, I have to be—I have to be honest. You know, we're, when you're talking about what you should do, sometimes we learn from what we shouldn't do. <laughs> and so for me, I—I I have to tell you a story because it's one that sticks in my mind, um, and it's one that I've really learned from. And maybe you guys can relate to it. And I just want to be humble and honest with you. So. Right when I was in the middle of this home group, that, and I was learning, you know, like, new man, I'm a new creation in Christ, Josh had to go up to Regina for, um, like, a, a medical procedure. So I had to drop him off at the general hospital, like, first thing in the morning. And then it was still, it was COVID, so I couldn't go in. And so I, like, I drop him at the door, and I'm like, okay, Lord, like, we give this to you. And I'm all like, yep, good. So I'm leaving the general hospital, and I'm driving, and there's a car, I don't know, and I think he was in front of me. I, I didn't think anything of it. Um, obviously, whoever was driving that car didn't like how I was driving behind him because, <laughs> because when I pulled up beside him at the next stoplight, it was an older man, um, and he's gesturing at me, and he's angry, and I'm like, what the heck is his deal? Like, so then, of course, I go right to the flesh. I'm just like, how dare he? How dare he be mad at me? So then I look over at him, and I'm just, I feel it all welling up, and the new man went all out the door. <laughs> I look over at him, I'm like, I'm going to show him. And so we're at the stoplight. <laughs> this is Regina, and I just, like, pin it. Like, I just gas, cut him right off. So we get up to the next stoplight because there couldn't be a green light. Nope, the Lord wouldn't let there be a green light. So I pull up beside him and he is losing his mind. Like he's like, ah, and I, he's laying on his horn and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So then I turn on to College Avenue. I'm like, get out of there before the cops come. <laughs> so then I'm driving down the street and right away I'm just like, <sighs> I felt the voice of the Lord and it was not condemnation. It wasn't condemnation, because a lot of you know this. God is a gentle father, and when we make mistakes, it sounds something like this. Hmm, Jessica, that is not who you are. And that was not who I was. And I lived in terror for the next few days that I was going to read an obituary of that elderly man who had died from a stress-induced heart attack that I had caused. <laughs> so it sunk in my heart. But I, I, I know it's kind of not funny and not funny. <laughs> funny and not funny, but um, I think about that often because it wasn't that long ago, and it just goes to show, though, that we have to practice this, and we have to learn it, and when we make mistakes, there's always a second chance. There is. There's been lots of different times where I felt the voice of the Lord asking me to do something, and for whatever reason, I didn't hear or I chose not to listen, and he's always given me another chance. He doesn't just shut down and be like, well, I'm done trying to teach you this or I'm done giving you opportunities. He'll always give you more opportunities. So I tell you that story just simply because that's a what not to do, because a gentle answer turns away wrath, and I should have known that. <laughs> so, okay, sorry, I just need to take a quick drink. All right, so 
On this subject, there is an elephant in the room that needs to be addressed, and that is fear. I cannot think of a more relevant topic right now than fear, and unless you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, I think it's impossible to, not, to have not had a run-in with fear at some point, especially in the last couple of months. Um, and this, just a disclaimer, this is not about COVID. This is not about politics. I don't care what side you're on. Like, this is relevant across the board. I'm speaking to everybody here. I'm speaking to me. We need to know and we need to understand that fear is not from God. Fear is not your friend. I know we've heard that, but I'm going to say it again. And you can even say it with me. Fear is not your friend. Say, fear is not my friend. You do not want to be friends with fear and skip off into the sunset holding hands with fear. Um, it is a demonic spirit, and it needs to be dealt with as such. So what do we do with demonic spirits? Cast them out, right? So I think part of the problem is that fear likes to dress up like wisdom, and I've seen a lot of that right now. There is a really big difference, guys, and I'm not talking against wisdom. Wisdom is good, but fear and wisdom are not the same. And, you know, we've been doing this worship training, and there's this one quote that said, you worship what you enthrone. So we want to make sure we are not enthroning the wrong things. If we enthrone fear, we're essentially worshiping it, and we're letting it loose instead of taking authority over it, which is what, what we should be doing. Um, I think that we need to be discerning and we need to recognize when fear is at the root of something. Um, it's not always obvious. Sometimes it, it's, it's not always apparent. People don't always walk up to you and be like, I'm afraid. Sometimes it's just you're having a conversation with someone and you eventually get the sense, okay, this is coming from a place of fear. So what do we do? I mean, I know there's been a lot of conversations lately, and I, okay, once again, guilty, where someone will come up to you and be like, oh, did you hear, like, blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, oh, yeah, what next? Maybe the government's going to do this. or And then you go from there, right? Fear, 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 fear. And then it just keeps building. There has to be something to stop it in its tracks. So what do we do? Did you know that love is an opposite to fear? Because the Bible, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So I think back to when I was a little girl, Fear is my oldest enemy. Like, I'm preaching to me here right now because I know fear. I've been fighting fear some of my earliest memories. Fears, I've had lots of run-ins with him. And I've won a few battles with him, but he likes to come back for more with me. And I think about when I was little and I was scared at night, which happened a lot. I had a very vivid imagination. And my sister was really mean <laughs> and would sometimes tell me scary stories right before bed. So I, I was often the little kid who would run down the hall to mom and dad's room. Can anyone relate to that? You know, you run down the hall to mom and dad's room. Why? Why is mom and dad's room any safer than your room? Why is it safe? And why is it going to be all okay when, when you're with mom and dad? 
It's because you know fully and completely that they love you, right? Like, or think about um, when you were a little girl and you would snuggle into your mom. Everything was okay. Or dad, right? Or as a parent, maybe your child. Everything would be okay if you could just be near mom and dad, right? If we knew, there's, there's total security in that love. And it's the same with God's love. If we know, really know, God's complete and perfect love, it casts out fear. And the beautiful thing is that we carry that love within us. So I just want to challenge all of us. The next time that we're in a situation, and it's probably going to be not too far off from now, you're in a situation where you sense the presence of fear, let's respond in love. I think it's a a powerful response, and it will shut down the power of that fear. So just a couple of tips on how to be prepared to move in the opposite spirit. Um, There's a couple things I want to touch on. And the first one is this. You need to deny yourself. So what do I mean by that? (laughs) Well, we're living in a society and a world that is completely self-focused and bent on selfish fulfillment. What's in it for me? What makes me happy? Me, 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 right? It's not all about me, right? Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking basic self-care. Rest is important. Jesus rested. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about that constant pursuit of, of like, me, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, well, you can't pour from an empty cup? right? And it's meant with good intention, but the model usually leads down a path of a lot of self-focus and pursuing all the different ways that you can attempt to fill your cup. Um, But I believe when you walk in the Spirit, your cup can never truly be empty. If you are in Christ, right? I love, Jordan talked last week about um, the woman at the well, so in John chapter 4, 14, Jesus is speaking to that woman at the well, and he says to her, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. A fresh bubbling spring within. How could your cup ever be empty if, if you're in the spirit, right? If you're drawing from the well of your spirit of that living water, you're not going to be empty. If you are completely secure and convinced in that truth, right? That you have everything you need for life and godliness in him, right? So don't be afraid to pour out of yourself and give to those around you because you have a living spring within you. Second point on this, you are dead. Sorry, I know that sounds really harsh, but you're dead. Did you know that you're dead? (laughs) If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then your old self is dead and you've put on the character of Christ. So Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the New Testament talks a lot about being dead to sin, dead to the flesh. So in the same way, we must be dead to offense. Excuse me. And we have to be dead to the fear of man. That ever so present thought, what will they think of me? It's not, you know, the spirit of the world is drenched in offense and it's not the way of the kingdom 
And if we're going to be able to do this well, if we're going to be able to bring God's kingdom into situations, we have to let go of offense, right? Just like I needed to let go of offense when that man was mad at my driving. You know, I've got to be dead to that. Um, I really like how Todd White says it. He's a, some of you might have heard of him. Um, and he talks a lot about um, offense and being dead to your, to your flesh. And he says it like this. He says, Jesus freed me from me, so he freed me from you. So you're free from what people think about you. You're free from what people say about you. They do not define who you are. If someone's mad at you, that, it doesn't change your value. If someone doesn't like you, it doesn't change your value. You know, if someone, that person at work is annoying all the time and you can't stand them, like you can be loving to them because you're dead, right? So the third key is to be aware and discern. So we have to be able to recognize and identify when ungodly spirits are at work. Um, and we need to have spiritual awareness. We need to see with spiritual eyes, not just physical eyes. So on the point of being aware, I think the key to being more spiritually aware is to start our day with God. I don't necessarily mean like doing your devotions first thing in the morning. Not all of us do that. Um, it just could be as simple as acknowledging God's presence. Like um, one of our worship team members had shared a few weeks ago on, a, on an experience she'd had when she had started her day with God and, and how she had a powerful worship experience from that. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a big thing for me. I'm not a morning person, so I've often just kind of spurned morning devotions, and I kind of wait for the evening. Um, but then, you know, you don't often get off on the right foot, right? That's, that's how I am. And I mean, I don't always have time for a long devotion in the morning, but it could be as simple as just when you get up in the morning, like you get up out of bed, and before you, you know, put your feet to the floor and go, you could just say something like this, like, good morning, Lord. This is the day you have made. I can't wait to be your ambassador to those around me today. Jesus, you are Lord. Holy Spirit, help me to hear your voice as you lead me in love to those around me. God, I love you, and thank you for your presence in all of my days. That would take like 20 seconds. And then you're just acknowledging his presence. You're asking him to open your eyes, and then boom, you go about your day, and you change the situations and the atmospheres around you. And the fourth point, or sorry, discern. That was aware. So to discern. Sometimes it's obvious what's at work around us and in a situation, but other times it's not. Um, sometimes you know something isn't right, but you can't exactly identify what's going on. And my advice in those situations is to just ask the Holy Spirit. Just ask him. He never leaves you. He's always with you. So if you find yourself in a situation and you're like, something's not right, Lord, you've got to ask him. And he will give you wisdom. And then um, that leads to the next point. Then you have to be bold. So it's nice to know all these things, and it's nice to want to do them, but we have to actually do them. Yeah. And that requires being bold. And I know for some of you, that might be a stretch, um, like the lunchroom <laughs> scenario, um, though we always have a choice. That's a good, a good example of how there's always choices. You're always going to be in these situations, and you're always going to have a choice for how you choose to respond. But we have to be bold. And if you're saying to yourself, like, that's just not me, or I'm not like that, that is the part where you're dead to your flesh. It's your flesh that says, I can't do that, or that's not me, right? In your spirit, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And you better believe he's going to give you 
He's going to give you strength to be bold, especially when you're stepping out and you're wanting to serve him. So I just encourage you in that. We've got to take action because all this stuff is real great to talk about, but, but it has to be followed up with an action. I just want to say it is very important to know as we're talking about this, we're talking about spiritual warfare and you know battling in the spiritual realm. This is not about resisting or battling people. It is not. People are not our enemy. I know it feels that way sometimes. I felt that way sometimes. It is so important to remember people are not the enemy. Never. And if we could learn that um, and learn to battle in the spiritual realm instead of combating people, it's powerful. Because then we can help lead people to repentance and salvation, right? So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, our battle is not against flesh and blood, says it right there. I really love how 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 4 say this. I've just been, like, I've been meditating on this verse for the last couple of weeks. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Fear is a stronghold. But we have authority over it. It's just, it's so awesome. Like, how could we not be happy when we have a battle that's impossible to lose? I mean, those are pretty good odds, right? I just want to talk a little bit about our weapons. I don't have this in the um, slides because this is kind of a last-minute thing, but it's talking about the weapons we fight with. What are the weapons we fight with? This is still in Ephesians 6. It's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Those are our weapons and they have divine power for the demolishing of strongholds. So just a quick disclaimer once again, I, maybe this concept seems a little bit passive-aggressive in certain situations, and it's not a replacement for direct confrontation and accountability. There is still a time and a place for directly dealing with um, people, for directly dealing with um, spirits. Um, this is just another tool that you can use. Because for a lot of people, spiritual warfare is kind of an intimidating term, and they oftentimes think of like, stupid movies like the exorcism <laughs> and things like that but this is this is actually spiritual warfare it's just everyday spiritual warfare moving in the opposite spirit is an excellent way to combat spirits instead of people so just kind of as we're moving on here i've talked a lot about um you know, social situations, we've talked about fear, but one thing I want to quickly touch on here is on our thoughts. So we can also apply this principle when we're dealing with our own thoughts, because that's a really big one. We deal with our own thoughts a lot. <laughs> I know I do. So it was an issue for me for years. Um, 
I, I've heard the truth my whole life. Like I told you before, I was raised in the church. Um, but somehow, I couldn't recognize how the enemy's lies were shaping my thoughts. And it was even shaping what I believed about God. So just kind of a personal story here. Um, in 2007, um, Josh and I had been married for just over a year. Um, we were expecting Kira. She's our oldest. She was to be born in November of that year. I had just turned 19, so I was very young. And there's a lot of stuff to unpack, but once again, that's another story. But it was already kind of a, <laughs> a difficult time of transition for me. And in October of 2007, a month before Kira was to be born, we found out that my mom had a brain tumor, which turned out to be cancerous. So anyone who knows anything about cancer and knows how that goes knows what a hard road that is. And I felt very ill-equipped to deal with um, what I was dealing with. Um, we walked a very painful road with my mom for nine years. And I was a young, very young mom and a newlywed. And I just kind of felt desperate. And I can't count how many prayers were prayed over her that she would be healed. Like, she was sick for nine years before she passed away. And it was a lot of prayers. There was a lot of laying on of hands. There was the anointing of oil. We did all that. And during the time she was sick and even after she died, I questioned a lot of things. Like for the first time in my life, it was real to me. It was like, does God heal? Is he going to heal my mom? Like what kind of a God are you? Like you ask those things, right? And it can be a really dark rabbit hole to wander down when you start having those questions and then the enemy starts to whisper his lies, right? Like, see, he's not a healer. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love your mom. See, he's not good at all. It's the age-old lie, right? He brought it in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Right? And there comes the lie. And if you keep going with that thought train, it will lead you to destruction. Trust me. But I, I came to a point, like I just, I didn't kind of fully buy into it, but I came to a point where I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know about healing. And there started to be this small little root of bitterness. You know, when I'd hear about somebody else getting healed or when I would hear about somebody else having a victory, like part of me was like, yeah, that's my God. But another part of me was like, not for me though, Right? I know a lot of us can recognize that feeling, but I got to this point where I was just like, I had this realization. I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but I realized, like I looked at scripture and I looked at the God that I knew and loved and, and all the experiences I'd had with him and I realized that my circumstance doesn't divine his character. I was letting my circumstance and, you know, the lies of the enemy define his character, and it was a lie. So I was completely ineffective. I couldn't rejoice with those who were rejoicing. I, I didn't feel confident to lay hands on the sick and see them recover because there was this lie and this root of bitterness in my heart. And then I just started to realize, like, no, I, I know the character of God, and he is a healer. So when you stop looking at your circumstances and you start looking at the word of God and the truth, it will change it all. Because I still don't have the answers. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have an answer for you today why some people are not healed of cancer on this side of earth. But the beauty of it is my mom is healed now. 
And nothing will take that away. She didn't get healed here on earth, but there was lots of blessings. And when I stopped looking at why that didn't happen, and I started looking at God and who he was, it changed it all. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to let hell know that I am not afraid to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I don't, I don't care what the enemy says, and he is not going to steal this from me. So I want to encourage you this morning. I know a lot of you probably have circumstances that have made a place for lies to take root in your life. Do not let your circumstances define the character of God. And you show the world, you show hell and the devil that you're not listening to him anymore. And you lay hands on the sick, right? Because there's resurrection life inside of you. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the past, it doesn't matter anymore. That's not who you are. That's, that doesn't define the situation. First John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. So I just want to, um, before I close, I'm going to invite the worship team. We sang a song this morning called When You Walk Into the Room. I love that song. It's a good song. Um, and it, at the beginning in the verse, it's just talking about what happens when God walks in the room, right? All these things. But here is the beauty of it. When you walk in the room, he walks in the room, right? So when you walk in the room, everything changes. Darkness trembles at the light that he brings. When you walk in the room, every heart starts burning and nothing matters more than to sit at the feet of Jesus when you walk in the room, sickness starts to vanish and hopeless situations, they cease to exist. When you walk into the room, the dead begin to rise because there's resurrection life in all we do because we are the hands and feet of Jesus, right? And we have that spring of eternal life within us. So before we sing... We've been talking a lot about life in the spirit and I can't do that without, you know, acknowledging if there's maybe somebody in the room who doesn't have that. If you've been listening to everything I've been talking about today and you're like, man, that sounds pretty good. Well, it is pretty good. You need it. You want it. And I just believe if there's a call of God on your heart right now and you are thirsting for the living water just like that woman at the well I just want to encourage you to answer that call this morning so we're going to sing but if you have never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life if, if you don't have that spring of living water and you want it, can I just encourage you um, at any point while we're singing or even after the service, whenever, you can go find Pastor Mike or Pastor Jordan or Pastor Wade. <laughs> um, go talk to them because they would love to share with you how you can do that. It will change your life. It'll change the lives of everybody around you and you will never be in darkness again because you'll be able to walk through that valley of the shadow of death and the resurrection life of Jesus Christ will be in you. So I just want to encourage you all this morning. I want to release you to go out of this place and change the world.
but you can start with your workplace. You can start with your family. You can start with the people around you and it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? So I also want to invite the prayer team to come. If you would like prayer for anything else, if you need healing, if you need um, someone to agree with you, if you're feeling hopeless like I was, and you want someone to pray with you in the opposite spirit and, and come from a place of hope, then please come and find a member of the prayer team. Um, but we're going to sing. Could I just request that we all stand up as we sing this song?
I believe that the Lord wants to do something here this morning. And I believe that it, it's shared in the testimony that what Jessica shared about her mom specifically. Because it all shifted when she recognized that in her heart, she was saying, but not me. But not me. And you know, sometimes it takes confessing those things before you realize, wow, that's actually in my heart. And I don't want that in my heart. And so I need that to change. And so I, I want to encourage you, if you, if you felt, if you are right now, you're feeling that, but not me. Everyone else is getting this, but not me. Everyone else is experiencing healing, but not me. Everyone else is getting their prayers answered, but not me. If you're feeling that this morning, I want to encourage you to, to really spend some time with the Lord, to come up and get prayer to just come and just be in the presence of God up here. But I believe that it takes a response. It's going to take you to do something to say, yes, me, now. It's my turn. The Bible says I am more than victorious. You are victors because of Jesus. It's your turn. It's your turn. Wherever you are feeling, but not me, take a step forward and say, it's my turn now. It's my turn now. And so if you feel that there is something in your life that is limiting you, where you feel like you don't have the, where you have doubt, step forward in faith. Step forward in faith. Believing what Jesus did for you. So do that now. Do that now. Respond now. Don't let the enemy take another second from you. Respond now. We're going to close the service, but we're going to stay, remain open for prayer. You can go and you can have your coffee. Parents, you can go and get your children who have been so gracious in their rooms and the parent, the teachers have been wonderful so parents you can go and get your children but if you have felt that recognition of but not me I want you to step forward and I want to see God move in your life now let's pray Father, thank you so much that you have given us everything we need for life and for godliness and that we are more than victors because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell within us and that you have given us the ability to do even greater works than what Jesus did while he was here on earth. And so, Lord, as we step out into our days, from the simple things like not participating in gossip and to bring words of life to that situation, to changing our thoughts and renewing our minds with Scripture. We are going to participate in bringing the opposite spirit wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want prayer, come on up and get prayer. If you want fellowship, fellowship is everywhere. Find someone to chat with and 
be with and hang out with. And have yourself a wonderful week. There is youth coffee talk right away. There is registration for the Freedom Weekend right now. Have yourself a wonderful week and God bless you. This is for